Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of antibiotics found under the drug section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin by discussing the different classifications and indications of antibiotics. Let's begin with cell wall synthesis inhibitors. The first type of drug in this classification is the penicillins. Remember that they are bactericidal as they inhibit bacterial cell wall synthesis via competitive inhibition of the transpeptidase enzyme. The first class of penicillins is penicillin, with specific drugs including penicillin G, aqueous or crystalline penicillin G, procaine penicillin G, benzathine penicillin G, and penicillin V. The key indications for penicillins are S. pneumoniae, S. pyogenes, or group A strep, N. meningitidis, T. pallidum, L. monocytogenes, A. israeli, and P. multocida. The next class is aminopenicillins. This includes ampicillin and amoxicillin. The key indications are to increase gram-negative coverage, as well as cover for enterococci. This is group D strep as well as all of the other bacteria previously mentioned. The next class is penicillinase-resistant penicillins. This includes methicillin, nafcillin, oxacillin, cloxacillin, and dicloxacillin. The key indications are to cover for penicillinase-producing staph aureus, as well as all the other bacteria listed previously. The next class is the anti-pseudomonal penicillins. This includes carbenicillin, ticaracillin, and piperacillin. The key indications are to cover for P. aeruginosa as well as anaerobic bacteria in all of the previously listed bacteria. The next type of antibiotic is the cephalosporins. They are also bactericidal as they inhibit bacterial cell wall synthesis via competitive inhibition of the transpeptidase enzyme. The first class is the first generation. This includes cefazolin and cephalexin. The key indications are to cover for gram-positives, some gram-negatives, and skin infection prophylaxis. The second generation includes cefoxetin, cefachlor, and cefuroxime. The key indications is for gram-positives, improved gram-negative coverage, and anaerobes. The third generation includes ceftriaxone, cefotaxime, and ceftazidime. The key indications is for serious gram-negative infections, meningitis, and pseudomonas. The fourth generation includes cefepime. The key indications are for the same coverage as the previously mentioned cephalosporins, as well as expanded pseudomonas coverage and expanded gram-positive coverage. The fifth generation includes ceftaroline. Its key indications is for expanded gram-positive and gram-negative coverage. However, remember that it is non-suitable coverage of pseudomonas. Other cell wall inhibitors include vancomycin, with key indications being for MRSA, for patients with penicillin or cephalosporin allergies, as well as coverage for Staph aureus, S. epidermidis, and C. difficile. Other drugs include beta-lactamase inhibitors, such as clavulonic acid, sulbactam, and tazobactam. Their key indications are for gram-positives, such as Staph aureus and Staph epidermidis, as well as gram-negatives, such as E. coli or Klebsiella. Another class is carbapenems, such as doripenem, imipenem, meropenem, and ertapenem. Its key indications are for the broadest activity of any antibiotic. However, it does not cover MRSA, mycoplasma, and some pseudomonas. Another cell wall inhibitor is estreonam, with its key indications being for gram-negative rods, aerobes, 
and difficult-to-treat hospital-acquired infections. Another class is polymyxins, such as polymyxin B and polymyxin E. Their key indications are for topical gram-positive infections. And another class is bacitracin, and its key indications is for topical gram-positive infections as well. The next type of drugs we'll talk about are the protein synthesis inhibitors. Let's start with the anti-30S ribosomal subunit inhibitors. The first class includes aminoglycosides, which are bactericidal. Specific drugs include gentamicin, neomycin, amikacin, tobramycin, and streptomycin. Their key indications are for severe gram-negative infections, aerobes only, and remember that they can lead to nephrotoxicity and ototoxicity. Another class is tetracyclines, which are bacteriostatic. Specific drugs include tetracycline, doxycycline, minocycline, and demeclocycline. Its key indications is for chlamydia, rickettsia, bacteria without peptidoglycan cell walls, spirochetes, V. cholera, and H. pylori. Now let's discuss the anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitors. The first class is the macrolides. This includes erythromycin, azithromycin, and clarithromycin. Its key indications is for outpatient URIs and LRIs, as well as atypical pneumonia, STDs, and gram-positive cocci. Another class is chloramphenicol, which is bacteriostatic. Its key indications is for H. influenza, bacterial meningitis, brain abscess, or bacteroides fragilis. Another drug is clindamycin, which is bacteriostatic as well. Its key indications is for anaerobes above the diaphragm, as well as female GU infections and toxic shock syndrome. Another drug is linazolid, which may be bacteriostatic or bactericidal. Its key indications is for resistant gram-positives, specifically MRSA or VRE. Another class is streptogramins, such as quinupristin and dalfopristin. Its key indications is for VRE, group A strep, and staph aureus skin infections, and remember that they are bactericidal when used together. The next type of drugs we'll discuss are the DNA synthesis inhibitors. Let's start by talking about the fluoroquinolones, which are bactericidal, since they inhibit DNA gyrase enzyme and they inhibit DNA synthesis. The first class is the first generation, which includes synoxacin. Its key indications is for gram-negative UTIs. The second generation includes ciprofloxacin, norfloxacin, enoxacin, ofloxacin, and levofloxacin. Its key indications is for gram-negative UTIs, gram-negative GI tract infections, and pseudomonas. The third generation includes gadifloxacin. Its key indications is the same as previously discussed for the other generations, as well as gram-positives. The next class is the fourth generation, which includes moxifloxacin and gemifloxacin. Its key indications is the same as the previous classes, as well as more gram-positive coverage and anaerobes. Other DNA inhibitors include metronidazole, which is bactericidal, since its metabolic byproducts disrupts DNA. Its key indications is for bacteria and protozoa, as well as anaerobes below the diaphragm, C. difficile, and H. pylori. Now let's discuss RNA synthesis inhibitors. The drug you should remember with this mechanism is rifampin. It is bactericidal since it inhibits RNA transcription. Its key indications are for TB, leprosy, H. influenza prophylaxis, and it is an anti-staphylococcal. Now let's talk about mycolic acid synthesis inhibitors. 
The drug with this mechanism that you should remember is isoniacid. Its key indications are TB, latent TB. However, remember that it can cause peripheral neuropathy and elevated liver enzymes is the most common side effect of RIPE therapy. Folic acid synthesis inhibitors that you should think about are sulfonamides, which would include sulfamethoxazole, sulfisozoxazole, and sulfadiazine. Key indications for these drugs include respiratory infections with S. pneumoniae or H. influenza, as well as GI enterics, UTIs, and PCP and T. gondii. Another class is trimethoprim, which has the same key indications as sulfonamides. And the last drug with this mechanism is pyrimethamine, which has key indications of malaria and T. gondii. Other miscellaneous drugs that you should remember include pyrazinamide. It has an uncertain mechanism, however, it potentially accumulates in cells which disrupts the membrane potential and fatty acid synthesis. Its indications include that it is part of RIPE therapy for TB, however, it can cause hyperuricemia and hepatotoxicity. Another drug is ethambutol. It inhibits arabinosyl transferase, which inhibits the production of the mycobacterium cell wall. It is also part of the RIPE therapy for TB, and it is used for M. avium intracellulare. However, remember that it can cause optic neuropathy, such as red-green color blindness. The last drug that we should discuss is daptomycin. Its mechanism of action is that it is a lipopeptide that disrupts the cell membrane. It is indicated to treat multi-resistant gram-positives such as MRSA and VRE. However, remember that it can cause myopathy, which may present as an elevated CK and rhabdomyolysis. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to antibiotics, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 55-year-old man is brought to the emergency department from prison for a cough and a fever. The patient has also had persistent night sweats and chills and has lost 15 pounds over the past month. He endorses subjective fevers and weakness. His temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 122 over 82. Pulse is 101 beats per minute. Respirations are 17 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 94% on room air. A chest radiograph is performed, which demonstrates a cavitary lesion. Which of the following is the most likely side effect of the most appropriate initial treatment for this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1, gout. Choice 2, hepatotoxicity. Choice 3, optic neuritis. Choice 4, peripheral neuropathy. Or choice 5, seizure. The best answer to this question is choice 2, hepatotoxicity. This patient is presenting with a fever, cough, night sweats, and weight loss with risk factors of being in prison as well as a chest radiograph with a cavitary lesion suggesting a diagnosis of tuberculosis which is treated with rifampin, isoniacid, pyrazinamide, and ethambutyl, or RIPE therapy. The most common toxicity of RIPE therapy is hepatotoxicity. Tuberculosis presents in at-risk patients, including the homeless, IV drug users, and immunocompromised patients. Presenting symptoms include a fever, cough, malaise, weakness, night sweats or chills, and weight loss. The diagnosis can be further worked up with a chest radiograph, acid fast staining, and culture of sputum. The treatment of tuberculosis is RIPE therapy. Though there are many side effects of RIPE therapy, 
The most common side effect that is in particular due to isoniazid is liver injury and an elevation of liver enzymes. Patients' liver enzymes typically normalize. However, they should be followed closely. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Gout can be precipitated by pyrazinamide secondary to impaired urinary uric acid secretion. However, this is a less common side effect than elevated liver enzymes. Choice 2. Optic neuritis and impaired color vision are potential side effects of ethambutol. However, this is a rare complication of ripe therapy when compared to elevation of liver enzymes. Choice 4. Peripheral neuropathy is a potential side effect of isoniazid. However, it is less common than an elevation of liver enzymes. This side effect can be treated with vitamin B6. Choice 5. Seizure is a potential side effect of isoniazid and occurs secondary to impaired ability of the CNS to utilize glucose. It can be treated with vitamin B6. Finally, a bullet summary. The most common complication of rifampin, isoniazid, pyrazinamide, and ethambutol therapy is an elevation in liver enzymes. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 44-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician for worsening dysuria, hematuria, and lower abdominal pain. Her symptoms began approximately two days ago and have progressively worsened. She denies headache, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. She endorses feeling feverish and notes to having foul-smelling urine. She has a past medical history of Romano-Ward syndrome and is not on any treatment. She experiences profuse diarrhea and nausea when taking carbapenems and develops a severe rash with cephalosporins. Her temperature is 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 138 over 93. Pulse is 100 beats per minute and respirations are 18 breaths per minute. On physical exam, the patient appears uncomfortable and there is tenderness to palpation around the bilateral flanks and costovertebral angle. A urinalysis and urine culture is obtained and appropriate antibiotics are administered. On her next clinical visit, urine studies and a basic metabolic panel is obtained, which demonstrate a sodium of 140, chloride of 101, potassium of 4.2, bicarbonate of 22, BUN of 20, glucose of 94, creatinine of 2.4. Her urinalysis demonstrates a yellow color. It is clear appearing. There is no blood, a pH of 7, with normal being between 5 and 8, there is no protein, no nitrite, no leukocyte esterase, and there are epithelial casts. Her fena is 3%. Her urine culture demonstrates a preliminary report of 10,000 CFUs per milliliter of E. coli. Which of the following antibiotics was most likely given to this patient? And the answer choices are choice 1, estrianam, choice 2, clindamycin, choice 3, levofloxacin, choice 4, tobramycin, or choice 5, vancomycin. The best answer to this question is choice 4, tobramycin. This patient's dysuria, foul-smelling urine, flank and costovertebral angle tenderness is concerning for pyelonephritis. Her studies are suggestive of an intrarenal acute kidney injury with a fena of greater than 2%, epithelial casts, and an elevated creatinine caused by a nephrotoxic antibiotic such as tobramycin. Aminoglycosides can be used as an empiric treatment in patients with complicated urinary tract infections in the outpatient setting when they cannot tolerate a carbapenem, such as this patient which has a carbapenem allergy 
or a fluoroquinolone, such as this patient who has a congenital long QT syndrome, such as Romano-Ward syndrome. Aminoglycosides, such as tobramycin and gentamicin, can cause nephrotoxicity, ototoxicity, and neuromuscular blockade. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Estreonam can be used to treat urinary tract infections caused by susceptible gram-negative organisms. However, it would not be associated with causing an intrarenal acute kidney injury. Choice 2. Clindamycin is mainly used to treat susceptible anaerobic bacteria. However, it can also treat aerobic gram-positive cocci. Clindamycin is not associated with causing an intrarenal AKI. Choice 3. Levofloxacin would be an effective treatment option for this patient's UTI. However, it is a QT-prolonging agent, which should be avoided in patients with congenital long QT syndromes. Choice 5. Vancomycin is used for gram-positive organisms, but her UTI is caused by a gram-negative rod. Finally, a bullet summary. Aminoglycosides are nephrotoxic, which results in an intrinsic acute kidney injury. That's all for this review about antibiotics. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.